Wouldn't that be fun to make a list of all the reasons we have to praise God and see how many thousands we could come up with? That'd be a good experiment for the new year. Let's start a list. This first Sunday of the new year, we're observing the Lord's Supper. And there's a, an unusual passage relating the Lord's Supper in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 14 through 27. The sermon's entitled, When Problems Arise. And we don't usually consider the Lord's Supper in this setting. But there's some unusual things that happen in this context that I want us to look at this morning as we begin a new year. Luke 22, 14 through 27 says this, and I'm reading from the New International Version. I broke down and sent my old Bible off to be rebound. The pages were falling out and, and the spine was coming off. And so I'm having trouble finding things in this, in this Bible, but it's all there. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves." Usually you would think the one sitting down at the table would be the greater and the one who is serving to be the lesser. And Jesus says, that's not the way it is with me and in my kingdom. The greater one shall be the one who is serving. And the lesser one is the one who's sitting at table waiting to be served. And all this is in the setting of the Lord's Supper. What's he trying to teach us? Let's bow together. Father, as this new year dawns, we want it to count for something. We want, when 2014 closes, to have walked more closely with you, to have experienced a deeper fellowship with you, and to have grown in our faith in you. So let us not waste or squander the opportunities before us but help us lean on you fully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
When I was looking at this setting of the Lord's Supper in Luke's Gospel, it struck me how different it is here from the other Gospels. First of all, the thing that jumps out the most is that they take the cup not once, but twice. In verse 17, it says, After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. I will not drink again. And then in verse 19, they take the bread. And then in verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So you have the cup, and then the bread, and then the cup a second time after the bread. And he tells them at the beginning, in verse 14, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He says, before I suffer, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then he says, I won't drink this cup until, it, until the kingdom of God comes. And so all of this setting is that of suffering. Jesus is trying to communicate to the disciples that this is not just another Passover meal that you are accustomed to. This is going to be something unusual and different and special. I'm getting ready to suffer, guys. And we won't do this again until the kingdom of God comes. We won't do this again until all of this finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Listen to me. Get, let me have your attention fully. And so he takes the elements that are familiar elements to the disciples with Jewish backgrounds from the Passover, their, their flight out of Egypt, the unleavened bread, the wine, let this symbolize and remind you of how God delivered you from bondage in Egypt, how he passed over your homes and did not kill the firstborn. Let this remind you of that. All these elements they're familiar with, and Jesus takes them and reinterprets them and says, this bread represents my body that's going to be broken. This cup represents my blood that's going to be shed. It's the new covenant in my blood. So he says, these elements that you are familiar with will become symbols of my body that's broken and my blood that's shed, all finding fulfillment when the kingdom of God comes. And what is the most striking about this is the disciples' response. Verse 24, right on the heels of observing the Lord's Supper, right in this very setting, what happens? A dispute arises among them as to which of them is considered to be what? The greatest. How obtuse, how dense can they be to this holy moment, this sacred occasion? I'm telling you that these elements of Passover are preparing me for suffering and what they represent. And here you are squabbling over who is the greatest. You can't get two more disparate settings than these two. I'm getting ready to suffer and die, and y'all are arguing over what? Over who's the most important among you? I don't guess we should be that surprised by their response. Because we have our own different experiences around the dinner table, don't we? I've read so many passages that, that teach that the most important piece of furniture in your home is what? It's the kitchen table. The most important piece of furniture is the kitchen table because it's around that table that you sit down and eat. Of course, in a lot of kitchen tables, 
now people have their iPhones out and they aren't talking anymore. I, I get so amused when, when Susan and I and Catherine go out to a restaurant and I promise you I can see four people sitting at a table and every one of them has their iPhone out and they're playing with it and not a single person is talking at the table. I'm thinking what, what's the point of even going out together to eat? You can eat alone at a phone booth. You know, if you're sitting at a table, converse, build relationships, talk to one another. And I, I can recall growing up, our own, my own kitchen table, we had, do you remember the old green formica tables and it had green plastic chairs in our, in our kitchen? And we'd sit around that. My sister's three years older and she always got more than I did in everything. And so we would fight and we would, we would squabble and pinch and we had good times around the table and we had tough times around the table and we would, we would sit there and talk and, and sometimes it would be wonderful and sometimes it would uh, disintegrate into arguments. But the important thing is that we were around that table and we were talking, we were communicating. It was some of the best times and some of the worst times. And I have to wonder why in this setting of the Lord's Supper did Luke put this occasion of the disciples squabbling among themselves. It's not here in this setting in Mark and Matthew's gospel. In their gospels, they're squabbling among themselves over who's the greatest on the way to Jerusalem. But here in Luke's gospel, it is the setting of the Lord's Supper. Why is that? I think maybe it's because we are afraid of the highest and holiest things that Jesus calls us toward. When, when something is expected of us, when the bar is raised, it's frightening, it's scary. And so our parents say something like, we expect you to do well in school. We want you to excel at everything you do. We want you to set a good example for your friends. And that's a high bar for our children to live up to a lot of times. And then sometimes we fail and we hear our parents say something like, I'm disappointed in you or I'm embarrassed at what you have done here. And we just feel like such failures. And so the disciples hear Jesus talking about the Lord's Supper and what it represents and they just degenerate rapidly into this discussion over who's the greatest. Jesus is making a point, and so is Luke, in this sacred act of worship of the Lord's Supper. It's hard to stay focused. It's hard not to let our minds wander. And so I tried to put myself in your shoes this morning and, and try to think about what you might be thinking. What are you thinking about right now? What time is it? How many pipes are there in the organ? What's for lunch? <laughs> Amen to that. Um, where did he get that tie? How much did she spend on that for Christmas? Why didn't she talk to me today? What have I done to her? I'm a mind reader. What else are you thinking about? All kinds of things. Our mind wanders as this table is set before us. It may be uncomfortable. 
It may be regrettable, but it's not unforgivable. Look at how Jesus turns it around. They're squabbling over, am I going to be the greatest? Am I going to be the most important? Am I going to receive everything that I deserve when Jesus comes in power, still thinking that he's the Messiah and he's going to set up this grand kingdom here on earth? I want to be the sergeant at arms. I want to be the second in command. I want to, to rule over armies and lands and nations. I want to be important. And Jesus says, you want to know who's important? It's not the one who's sitting at the table. It's the one scurrying back and forth, serving the one at the table. You want to take what the world deems as important, what the world values, and turn those tables literally upside down and let those who serve become the most important and those who sit around and expect to be waited on as the least important. At least Jesus says, that's the pattern I'm going to follow because I come among you as one who serves. And if you want to follow me, don't vie for greatness by having as many people as possible serve you. Vie for greatness by seeing how many people you can serve. Stop expecting to be served and start doing the serving. All this in the setting of the Lord's Supper. All this came home to me last weekend when uh, Jonathan Prince got married. Jonathan is one of our youngest custodians here at church. And uh, we wanted to do everything we could to make his wedding ceremony special. It was here in the sanctuary. And uh, it was just a, a wonderful ceremony. Several of us from the church were here, along with his friends and families from other churches. And after the wedding something unusual happened. Jonathan and his guests went over to the Family Life Center for the reception, and several of us who were on staff stayed behind to clean up. Let me tell you, it was a job. Moving all those chairs from the hallway back into the choir loft, moving all this pulpit furniture back up here, even the choir rail, this stuff is oak. It is heavy. Why didn't they make it out of balsa wood? I'll never know. <laughs> but we were moving all this back in, and the irony of the situation hit me. I'm accustomed to going to the reception and the custodians being here to clean up. And the tables were turned. And I didn't mind it because it gave me a new perspective. It taught me what these custodians do every day, day in and day out without thanks, and what a difficult chore it is, and how hard it is to please everybody. And it also taught me something about the body of Christ. And I think that may be what Jesus is getting to here. This Lord's Supper, this is the setting where he gives this teaching. This, this Lord's Supper represents the body of Christ that, that was broken and the blood that was shed. And how can you fully appreciate the different parts of the body when you have no idea what the different parts of the body are doing? We all want to be the head. Nobody wants to be the hands and the feet that actually do the work. And so what Jesus might be saying is, when you come to the Lord's Supper, why don't you think about those who serve? 
Why don't you think about those who are the hands and the feet and actually make things happen around here and, and don't worry about who gets the credit or who gets the glory or who's sitting at the table when everybody else is waiting on you. The only way you can appreciate all the different parts of the body is to try to do what they do for a while. Be among you as one who serves. Put yourself in their shoes. See what it's like. And then when you do that, then you can come back and appreciate and understand more fully what all the parts of the body are responsible for and how it's necessary for that to happen to function effectively. This is the Lord's Supper. This is his body that's broken and blood that is shed. We are the body of Christ in the world today. Greatness comes from putting yourself in different positions that you might not ordinarily find yourself. But once you do that, then you can understand and appreciate more fully how all the parts of the body work together and how those that do the work and that do the serving and that wait on the tables and that pick up the tables and clean them and that move the chairs around are really the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because they're following the pattern that Jesus set. I am among you as one who serves. I think that's a good lesson for us in the new year. Not to be afraid or worry about how important we are, but to vie for seeing how many we can serve and how much good we can do and how many we can love and all that God wants to do through us for his kingdom in the new year. The good news is that God loves us and accepts us just as we are. And that's what I love about this passage. Jesus didn't condemn the disciples for being so difficult, for being so dense, for being so insensitive to the lesson he was trying to teach. He just took it as he does so often and turned it into a teaching moment. Guys, I'm talking about the Lord's Supper here. You're squabbling over greatness. You want to be great? Those among you who serve shall be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And those of you who sit and expect to be served shall be the least. I am among you, says Jesus, as one who serves. Follow my example. And you will have learned this lesson well. It's written in 2 Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's bow together and close with the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples.
Oh God, you called us in Jesus to be servant people, not to lord it over others, but to be quick to serve. But we don't always do your command. We're silent when we should be speaking, and we speak when we should remain silent. We are lazy, we are timid, we are heartless. We turn our neighbors away from your love rather than attracting them to you. So God, we are here through no right of our own. Have mercy on us, even though we don't deserve it. Forgive us. Cleanse us and free us from sin, O oh God. Through Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples how to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.